This is an AMI podcast. Welcome to the Triple Vision podcast, your window into the past, present, and future of blindness in Canada. This podcast has been made possible by a generous contribution from T-Base Communications and the support of the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians. The mission of Triple Vision is to gather and document previously untold Canadian blindness narratives, one lived experience at a time, and to make our history accessible and universally known. Hello and welcome to Triple Vision. I'm David Best, and in this episode of Triple Vision, we're going to explore the role of accountability and responsibility in establishing employment roles for blind persons in Canada. So, Peter, you're interviewing Ross, and I understand that one thing we're going to look at is who determines the safety of blind workers in a workplace? Yeah. So from accountability perspective, David, there's a few things that listeners are going to hear about in this podcast. And they'll hear that going back to episode five, we heard from Gord Udek, who was talking about health and safety within his business, Ambutech. And we thought we'd talk to Ross Eady, who is a city councillor with the city of Winnipeg about that. But then Ross is going to go on and talk about a number of sort of accountability measures, employment measures, everything uh, to audible pedestrian signals and accessible procurement at the city of Winnipeg. So I think they're going to find this one uh, interesting. This morning on our third Triple Vision episode on employment, I want to welcome Ross Eady uh, to the program. Ross, I know you a little bit, but there will be listeners who don't know you at all. Could you introduce yourself for us? Well, my name's uh, Ross Eady. Uh, currently, I'm the city councillor for the Minarski Ward in Winnipeg, Manitoba, which is uh, for people across the country, you may have heard of the infamous North End. Uh, I represent about two-thirds of the North End and uh, half of uh, what's called West Goldonan. Ross, I wanted to start off today's podcast going back to um, an interview that we conducted with Gord Udek um, of Ambutech um, back in the fall. I think it was November, and we had our podcast on cane and ableism. We were talking about the history of the white cane. And... Gord told us a, a situation where he wanted to employ uh, someone who was blind in his shop. And he brought in uh, CNIB to consult on that. And they told him that that probably wasn't a good idea, that his shop wasn't a safe enough place for someone who was blind to work. And we thought that was curious. We were hoping to have Gord here to talk to you about that, but he's, he's not available. So I'm wondering what you can comment on that from your experience. Have you ever heard of anything like that um, happening before? I've heard of persons who are blind who themselves have been given advice and when they're looking to get grants to become involved in certain professions where the CNIB would recommend to them, well, for example, a woman who wanted to be a singer, professional singer, hmm. And they were basically, they were judging whether or not she could sing. Right. That is not the CNIB's role, okay? Right. And for the CNIB, you know, the only thing that I can, like, 
like they can provide some advice, but when it comes to employment, they are, you know, they're no experts here. Like technically people might remember the years of the union busting of the people who ran catering services here in Winnipeg. Those were people who were blind and uh, the CNIB really owned the operations. And, uh, you know, they decided what, <laughs> what people who are blind can and cannot do, what, what the worth of their work is. So, you know, the CNIB doesn't have the greatest track record as far as I'm concerned in terms of dealing with specific employment uh, situations, unless they've hired uh, somebody to help out who uh, has some expertise, who has a disability. But in terms of Ambutech, you know, uh, Ambutech is a very good employer. Uh, and uh, I love that they're right here in Winnipeg, actually. And uh, I buy my canes directly from Amutech. I don't go through no middle people. But like, how, like, what basis did the CNIB judge that that is not appropriate for workplace safety and health for somebody who's, and I don't even know the level of this person's blindness, right? Totally blind versus what level. But it seems to me that Amutech is not, as far as I know, uh, putting the carbon fiber uh, little pipes for our foldable canes, the graphite and stuff, That's they're shipping that in. It's my understanding at Ambutech, a lot of the work is mostly about assembly. So for the life of me, you know, I don't know how they could judge it, what, what could have happened. And, and again, I don't know the specifics of what kind of employment within that shop, uh, but obviously it wasn't in administration, marketing, or in taking orders. It was in the realm of assembly. And, you know, there are experts who, for anybody, like all human beings, when you're doing like manufacturing assembly and all that kind of stuff, there are experts who look at it and say, well, this is safe or not. The CNIB is not an expert in that field. Like I have a friend who worked in workplace safety and health. You know, he was an expert and he'd go out and inspect and they'd look at all workplaces for safety and health about, you know, and what are the dangerous things here, you know, and, and there are um, engineers you could probably hire who work in this field. And uh, the Manitoba government would know anybody who could provide that advice or what company has the proper engineer to do it to look at the process that somebody who's blind is going to work in and they can look at it and say, well, this could be safe, but you know, Hey, listen, I haven't, you know, I used to cut my finger cooking way more often when I could see than when I can't see, because there are ways, right. Of chopping vegetables and stuff without cutting off your finger for the CNIB, just to make a judgment over like it, it that's wrong. And, and then there are accessibility specialists out there in, right. in Winnipeg when it comes to the built environment and stuff. And I'm sure there's somebody out there who has some level of expertise about human working with uh, various pieces of equipment in a manufacturing assembly plant. Ross, what expertise do we have as blind and visually impaired people to to judge that for ourselves? And I'm I'm being a little uh, theoretically theoretical here, but I'm trying to trying to you know drive home a point here. I think that you know um, 
in an age of consumerism and advocacy where people who are blind and visually impaired really know what their skills and abilities are and what risks they're willing to take. What's our role in working with employers to say, you know, in fact, I can do that job. And, uh, you know, maybe with these modifications, that modifications, that job can be safe. My uncle worked for a big bank and there was somebody who was blind who seemed to be struggling in their employment position. You know, they asked me to come in and sort of have a look because it was in a field that uh, I kind of worked in and I had a lot of knowledge and experience. So now it was up to that bank employee to uh, work with me or not. Uh, That person decided not to. But the point is, is there are people out there who can try to assist because ultimately your employer wants you to perform. You know, it would be my role to explain how I can undertake and carry out the functions that they want me to do. Because you really have to arm yourself with that to be able to do that, right? You have to realize that uh, whatever workplace, like manufacturing, this gentleman was probably starting in the firm at the lowest level. Uh, In the field I was trying to get into, usually you move up the chain to the financial controller, you start out as a bookkeeper. Well, at the time I was getting into the field, computerization was happening, but there's no way I was going to be a bookkeeper because the vast majority of stuff still came in in paper and we'd have to hire somebody to put it into a, a, a text format so that you know I could do book entries and so on, right? Now you could just download it from your bank account. If you want to have success actually in finding employment, you as an individual, and if you, if you can't figure it out all yourself, what field do you want to get into, you know, you, you can find supports. One of the things that we've been talking about as a, as a team and putting together these podcasts, and we're not sure whether the success of employment programs has ever really been measured. If we look about, if we look back at the history of employment, and we've we've talked to a couple of people pre- previous to this podcast about you know back in the day of sh- sheltered workshops and cater plan, which you touched on, and so on. But then in the sort of eighties, nineties, and even now, there's an an idea that you know if you put together uh, some kind of um, job ready program where you um, you provide people with um, interview skills and you help them with their resume and you make a few contacts with employers that that's that's going to work but there's never been a real evaluation whether those programs have worked or not can you can you comment on that in terms of you know what makes those programs successful or not and you know does government have a role in evaluating those programs there's a for reaching equality for employment or something like that and they provided those kind of supports from it from an independent living perspective in other words help impart the skills you need to be independent not dependent on others right you know you can evaluate but there's a lot of factors i've applied for jobs that i'm fully qualified within the government actually but even in the private sector the decision maker as to whether or not i get hired they they have this block. It's, it's like a, it, it's a violation of human rights because they, they themselves just can't get their head around able to do, and they don't hire you. Now, there's a complexity in that I worked at the Independent Living Resource Center, and we were trying to help 
persons with disabilities get that employment experience. So I had somebody working under me and, you know, there's a great difficulty in that every person with a disability has a different level and ability and same as every other human being uh, for various types of employment. On my side, my frustration was I had an employee that I had to actually spend all my time working with the with that person and I had no time to get my job done. And so employers don't want to end up in that situation either. But let's go to the federal program. I want to, the ones that really should be evaluated because I've heard from the federal level two iterations, one from the early 90s and then there's one in the 2000s I heard about where they go to the pri- a private sector employment corporation, right? So yeah. they'll get X number of dollars. And the idea there is that we're going to provide grants to get persons with disabilities employment. The corporation will get money back if they do have success. Now, in, in a way, that might be better. And, and I'm still waiting to see the evaluation here in Manitoba uh, of how that works, because I think there is one initiative. It needs to be evaluated. But the traditional program where they get a person with a, with a, a job with a various employment situation, once the grant money runs out, quite often the employer needs employees who can accomplish what they've laid out within that job in order for the company to be productive and survive, right? So there should be an evaluation. And I've never, I don't, the federal program I was thinking about in the 90s, I never heard of any measurement. All I heard was from persons with disabilities who did get employment, lost their job after the grant money ran out. How do you think, the city of Winnipeg is doing right now in terms of hiring people with disabilities and the city must have some kind of targets or programs or initiatives to try and do that. Within the city itself, we're to accommodate workers because often a number of workers will become disabled while in working for the city and we're still their employers and we should be accommodating to accomplish their job. I, uh, the biggest, the biggest issue for persons with disabilities, I'll just talk about, persons who are actually working in the city in jobs, and I've seen this happen at Manitoba Public Insurance as well, when they change systems. So they'll, let's say uh, the software application provider for something that you know is accessible with JFW, works fine, and then, oh, now it's discontinued, there's no support, so we got to go to a new system. And uh, this gets to uh, what you may want to talk about, accessibility procurement and making sure that things are accessible. So at the in various departments, there are persons with disabilities working. I can't really tell you how they're faring. So kind of from that level, what's kind of dominated and often persons with disabilities end up second class. So in terms of, I've not heard of anybody losing employment with the city as a result of disability and systems. I can tell you how I'm treated, but I'm an elected official. But our clerk's department and all our departments, in order for me to do my job, whatever systems they change to, 
it still needs to produce accessibility. And I have to say, I ran in 1998, knowing that the city, they were going with the decision-making information system at the beginning. So everything, all reports and everything that came to council were electronic, which doesn't necessarily mean it's accessible. But as soon as it's a electronic, there's a solid means to process it into something that is accessible, right? How, how did you get into politics or why did you get into politics in 1998? Getting myself into a, a place where I could take care of myself, have a job, be employed. I, I went to uh, Red River College. So graduated in 1990 because I, I just thought I wasn't going to be a blue collar worker anymore. But I didn't tell anybody that I could still be a, a custodian, eh? Because okay. I still can sweep floors, I can still mop floors, I can still clean the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> so technically, I could have went back to work. But, you know, even back then, they were saying, well, how's a totally blind guy going to be a custodian, be safe and all that, whatever. Anyway, I do it in the home, I can do it anywhere. But uh, so then once I got through college, I was in a position to become more of an act activist advocate mm-hmm. for uh, at the city level. Uh, for accessibility, for example, you know, access to utilizing the bus service, which I could still do, but there was a lot of improvements needed to make it accessible, right? And there was a whole bunch of other issues about the built environment and audible signals, the whole whole thing. So activist advocate, and as I was involved, uh, I was one of the founding members of the Permanent Access Advisory Committee of the City of Winnipeg. Mayor Thompson at the time got that process started in 1994. By 95, it was in place. So it was the second permanent access advisory committee in the country. Edmonton was the first. In 1995, the chair of uh, a councillor chair, Mr. Dan Vandell, who's a member of parliament now for St. Boniface, he said to me, Ross, you sound like a politician. You ever thought about running? He goes. <laughs> Uh, and 95 was an election year. And I said, well, I'm not ready, young family or whatever. And and then I go back to Independence 92 in the lower mainland, Vancouver. There was a call for us. We were having great success uh, from the outside of government. Uh, but Alan Simpson and um, Henry Anns and um, Rick Hansen, they were all calling uh, at Independence 92. We need to have people elected into office so that when discussions are happening behind closed doors, there's actually somebody there who understands to ensure that when you come up with policies, bylaws, rules, there's an understanding about whether or not that's going to be accessible to uh, 15% of the population of Canada, right? How successful do you think you've been in pushing accessibility within the city? I ended up chairing the committee that I was one of the founding uh, members on. There was a construction project and they weren't going to put in proper sloping and stuff for accessibility to get up up on what's kind of like a bridge. Well, we're not doing it because there ain't no money. He said, well, that's not. No, 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 no. Right. Okay. Let's look at this. So, so the access advisory committee brought this to the attention of the executive policy committee and it was adjusted. And there is an accessible active transportation means to get up at the higher level. So there's been, you know, success in that way. If I expect to see a fully accessible transit system, 
if I'm a paying customer, that gives me more of a status to say, fix it. You you could get on a transit bus uh, for free. All I'm saying is, is your needs are going to be a lower priority than the payers paying customers Mm -hmm. priority. Now we have a, we have a separate uh, transit plus aggravation system. I call it. I always add in that transit plus aggravation. I don't use that system because I'm quite capable of using the regular transit system. But you know, if, if I wasn't capable of using regular transit, I would use transit plus because it's my right to do that. Now, that's improving too. Manitoba has the um, Accessibility for Manitobans Act, right? And there's an employment standard under there and that, and and the city's expected to follow that. And procurement is part of it. And um, back when I owned my company, Info Equity Incorporated, I knew how to do markup language and different things like that so that it would be accessible because I, there was a set of standards that were created to ensure it's accessible. And I would explain that to the people who were creating uh, web pages or whatever and, and that sort of thing. So now the clerks, they know that I'm there and they have a really good solid understanding. And so when they look at converting a system or changing a system, I have to say they always consider me and they'll run little test apps with me to make mm-hmm, sure mm-hmm. that when they're changing the, even the security, even changing the security system to use your computer, I bring it up. In the workplace environment, city councillors aren't really involved there, but Microsoft is forcing the city of Winnipeg into having to go with Microsoft Office 365. And in order to protect city government data and so on and so forth, There's going to be a whole new elaborate system in order to create documents and use documents. And I have to say, there's this sort of plug-in app that works with OneDrive or whatever whatever it is. And I have to say, the old version of that software was very easy for me to use because they're incorporating teams into sharing these documents. In teams... They did this one where they were sharing our, um, uh, what was it, uh, new traffic safety, whatever, uh, report or whatever, and I couldn't access it. I couldn't figure out what I had to click on to download the damn thing to read it. So really, I think one of the issues for the city of Winnipeg, when they're really looking at it, various departments haven't designated someone to seriously consider it's not just about me. What, what's the future, you know, for, for other people with disabilities, but it just so happens I'm totally blind. So they need to be cognizant, but they need to be cognizant of the needs of persons with disabilities, you know, across, across the breadth of it. And like council chambers, for example, it was renovated and it was made accessible. Okay. So even if you're a counselor using a wheelchair, you're able to get into the council chamber now and everything. And, you're able to utilize your office and um, you can even make some modifications to desk setup and stuff like that. So when it came to that kind of procurement and getting someone to come in and renovate and redo the building, they had to meet those accessibility standards, right? So it's a matter though of whoever's in charge has to know 
that there are accessibility standards in place and you can find them. Mm-hmm. Like uh, we were just creating a questionnaire to evaluate the chief uh, administrative officer and the human resource department was very good. Now this is not the clerks, right? Human resources. They asked me the right question. So they're moving ahead with this kind of survey thing for all members of council. And they actually asked me, what do we need to do to make this accessible, Ross? The city of Winnipeg takes accessibility overall quite seriously, actually. Uh, Sometimes it may not seem like that, but if you look at our transit system and you look at our street system, tell me any major city in this country right now, major city, give me a major city that has every signalized intersection outfitted with an audible signal. Every intersection isn't perfect, but every intersection has that, right? So there's still improvements and and there needs to be a continuous improvement concept as well. So my wish is that we could find more employers and this would really help just the whole cross disability perspective is more employers who, who would consider positions that are a little more specialized that could be filled. Again, I still don't know who to refer to what engineer I need to refer to uh, get someone to look at Ambutech's actual workplace and see if, uh, how, not see why not to employ a person who's blind, but look at how exactly to employ somebody who's blind in that workplace. It's the angle you're looking at everything, right? Mm-hmm. Are you looking at it from top down or bottom? Like, do you want to employ them or don't you? If you want to employ them, you need to look at it from yeah. how do we make it work? Well, Ross, I really want to thank you for coming on the program. And, and really, this has been great to talk to you about um, your story and the city of Winnipeg and really, you know, explore this issue. Um, if we had a magic bullet to solve the employment problem, I guess it would have been used long ago. So gotcha. I really appreciate you coming on to talk about all of these issues. So Ross has indicated that Winnipeg and the province of Manitoba seem to be fairly advanced in their standards for accessibility. I'm just wondering, how do we determine or how do we find specialists that can help employers determine the safety of their workplace? Because Ross talked about how there are people out there that can support you, but I don't know how you find those people. So, Peter, do you think that individuals have more of a responsibility to understand their own abilities, their equipment, and push back when employers indicate that they cannot or the workplace is unsafe for them? Well, this is something that we are identifying as a theme in these podcasts, is what is the role of individuals versus what is the role of employers in making the workplace safe and inclusive. So what we hear very often, and I think we heard it from our panel last time, and and we think we hear it here as well, is it's often up to individuals' own determination to push back 
and to, I won't say force themselves into a workplace because they can't really do that, but to be assertive, to make sure that their needs are accommodated. What do you think, Hannah? I definitely believe that to be the case, that you need, you, you seem to have to be that way, but it, you know, it's really unfortunate because not, not everybody has the ability to do that. I mean, when we go into a, a job interview now, we have to come in to that discussion with absolute um, certainty in the skill level. We have to do the job, our communication skills, everything. And we have to be these amazing, you know, education ambassadors too. And, you know, it's, it's a lot to ask of a, a single person to, to be able to play all those roles. I mean, I want a job, right? Right. That's the bottom line. I want a job. You're right. We kind of layer this whole hmm, advocacy piece on top of that. Not only do I want a job and I'm qualified to do the job, but now I have to advocate to do the job. Yeah, you end up teaching your workplace all about blindness, right? So that that ambassador role just seems to follow us around everywhere. Yeah, and I was hoping that would have changed. So, you know, when I've talked in the past about, you know, why are we still experiencing these attitudes in the workplace? I really, you know... In this age, in 2022, I, I really thought that had, that had changed and we were taking a more shared approach to employment. But we're going to continue our discussion on employment in our next podcast. That's right. We're going to be talking to Jen Ferris and Wayne Henschel. Jen is proposing a concept uh, for employment, and she's just going to talk to us about the concept and, and how she thinks it could work. And then we're going to talk to Wayne Henschel of the Come to Work program, which is being offered through CNIB. So we're going to hear something a little different in in what they're proposing for, you know, finding a job. It's more of a curation process, really, than just uh, a straight ahead, go get a lot of interviews. So stay tuned next time and, and we'll hear more about that. Triple Vision is made possible by the generous support of T-Base Communications and the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians. Triple Vision is produced in collaboration with Accessible Media Inc., AMI-audio. Jacob Shemansky is the technical producer and Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. And finally, Thank you for joining us on this journey. If you would like to reach out to Triple Vision with questions and comments, you can reach us at triplevision21 at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at triplevision21.